marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King, Jesus is coming again. Good evening and welcome back to Truth and Reason. Last week I had announced that we were going to change our format for Truth and Reason for a little while. And one of the main reasons for that is that we were going through some material with the congregation that I worship with. And um, we are moving on to some new material, but we didn't want to leave uh, some of the last few lessons uh, unanswered. And so we thought maybe we would bring it in this particular format. So a lot of these lessons will deal directly with the Brethren of the Northside Church of Christ in Russellville, Kentucky. And I appreciate you uh, tuning into these lessons and working through the lessons uh, with me as we have gone through a about a four, five-year study uh, that was supposed to last about three years uh, if you stick with the schedule. And uh, it just so happens that uh, we can always use COVID as an excuse, set us back a little bit. Um, and then we've just kind of taken our time going through the remainder of the material. And this material is based upon uh, a work by Gene Taylor, and uh, it is called A Bible Survey. Let me bring up some information about that for you. So hopefully, as you can see here, uh, the series is titled A Bible Survey, compiled by Gene Taylor. And we're all the way down to the last uh, lesson. This was uh, done in 12 sections. It takes you through the entire Bible. Uh, we've had a good run, a good study, learned a lot from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Even though a couple weeks ago, we already started uh, discussing this lesson, we are in lesson eight of uh, section 12, as we look at faith demands works. Now, we won't be actually getting into the, the topic of faith demanding works probably until next week, because the lesson is kind of broken down in, uh, in, in various parts. The first part will be dealing with chapter one, as we look at James one, one through 18, uh, the aspect of faith and works uh, begins in James two, but but don't think that even the first lesson doesn't deal with our faith and works. Though it's a main theme of James, uh, he does not ignore, you know, many of the other aspects of our relationship with God. And I think that's what we see in the first lesson here. And uh, the brethren have already uh, discussed these first few questions, but I thought for the sake of consistency, I would just kind of go ahead and review those quickly again for you. And if you have these lessons and you're going through these things, certainly there are answers that you may have come up that I didn't. I'm going to stick mainly with the scripture. So if there's an answer that I don't give in these lessons that you would like to share, please send that to me. All right, let's get into our reading. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord." He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So how Brother Taylor uh, 
divides this down is um, this first section, he entitles it Temptations and the Wisdom Needed to Face Them. And that's certainly something that we deal with uh, every day in our lives. And he points out the necessity of complete or perfect work, as, as we'll discuss in these questions. Uh, but obviously, how do we face temptation? How do we, what kind of wisdom do we use? Is it just a matter of saying no to sin? Well, obviously, we're talking about an application of the wisdom of God in our lives here. So as we look at a few questions regarding this, let's answer the first one. Number one, why can the Christian count it to be joy to fall into trials? <laughs> uh, it, it seems ironic, doesn't it, that James would start off by saying, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know, many of the uh, the time periods and the writers of the New Testament are writing to Christians that are in the midst of sometimes very heavy persecution. And he's saying, you know, your your faith is going to be tested here, and you're going to fall into various trials. So again, in answering the question, my brethren, count it all joy, you know, when you fall into various trials. Going back to the question, why can the Christian count it to be joy to fall into various trials? Well, I'm going to share another passage with you. I won't do a lot of cross-referencing just for the sake of time, but I did have to read at least a portion of Acts chapter 5. And there's a lot here from verses 17 into 40, um, and I won't have time to read it all for our purposes today, but you can glance at it on the screen or look at it in your own Bibles. Uh, but if you remember in Acts 5, <clears throat> Uh, we see that among the Sadducees, um, the um, the high priest came up and uh, laid their hands on the apostles, put them in prison. Of course, this was the example where an angel opened the prison doors and brought them out and told them to go and speak in the temple uh, the words of life, the words of Christ. And so when they went to the temple early in the morning, um, it was called to the attention that these men who had been imprisoned are out there teaching uh, in in the temple. And uh, so they go, found the prison shut securely. So obviously a miraculous thing has happened. So the high priest, um, the captain of the temple, the chief priest, uh, you know, wondered what's going to become of these things. So um, they just decided, okay, we're going to you know, drag them in, talk to them. Um, you know, they, they were brought before, um, you know, the council here in verse 27. And the high priest said, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? <clears throat> so that gets into a very important aspect of, of our duties today. In the fact that sometimes there will be those that challenge us not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And not just saying his name as some kind of representation, um, but definitely the name of Jesus Christ represents his authority, his doctrine, uh, the teaching of the the new law, if you will. Um, and of course, that was in direct opposition to what many of the Jews of the day believed. And because of that, uh, they did not accept Jesus as the Son of God. And here's where we get into verse 29. Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And he preaches Jesus to them. You know, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. So he's like, here you go. Yes, this man's blood is on your hands, and especially for the way that you're denying him today. When you go back to Acts chapter 2, and you see on the day of Pentecost, those that were obedient to the will of God, the irony is, is that they were the ones that murdered Christ. Peter and the apostles had just preached to them. 
that you have murdered your Messiah. And they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. So I find it ironic. So rather than obeying and, and changing and, and doing his will, verse 31 goes up to say, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, as so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up. And you might remember this a particular example of Gamaliel, uh, you know, a teacher of the law, a uh, Pharisee. And uh, he said, be careful what you do regarding these men. Basically, in summation, if it's of God, we can't do anything about it. If it's not, they'll, they'll come to their own end. He gives them a couple of examples of that. Um, and you can read through that. But he says, if it's of God, you can't overthrow it. You can't fight against God. So even Gamaliel, I think, had some thoughts in his mind. And of course, we famously remember the fact that uh, uh, Saul, you know, was trained at his feet and um, and was considered a great Pharisee. And so Saul, who, of course, became Paul, uh, the apostle, I'd like to know what happened to Gamaliel. I'd like to think that he came to reason, but we don't have that account in the Bible. So who knows? We'll find out when we get there. So anyway, um, they said, we need to let these men go. And so they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. Now, this next part is the entire reason why I brought this passage into our study today. <laughs> so I know it's taken a little while to get to that. But so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So again, going back to what James says in the very first chapter, uh, you can find joy in these things. You can find a reason to rejoice in the fact that you're doing the will of God. God is your judge, not man. Uh, but daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So why can we count it all joy? Well, I mean, they, we're going to see there's a lot of motivations for us, I think, um, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, we're looking for the, the blessings and the rewards of, of God in our lives. Uh, we're looking for confidence to, to go and to teach and to preach. And we're not going to let men stop us from doing the work of the Lord. And that may take on, you know, variations on YouTube. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to these things. They don't like the things that we say, you know, People, you know, give the thumbs down all the time, you know, it stings a little bit, but it's like, you know, it makes you wonder what is it about these messages that people just can't seem to handle? And uh, when they reject Jesus Christ, uh, certainly they're going to have to answer to God for that. But I try to make it a point as a preacher of the gospel that the things that I say will be truth and reason, because if they're not, then my soul will be held accountable. So as we get into things like the book of James, you've got a lot of even the religious world that, that will argue with you before the worldly world does. You've got the religious world that's going to argue with you against the works that God has given us to do. And as I've reminded you on many of our programs in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're doing the works of God. 
And so they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Leading us to our next question, what does the testing of one's faith produce? Well, going back to verse 3 of our reading from James 1, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And of course, we learn patience. Uh, if you ever meet somebody who's patient, chances are pretty good. They've been through some things. They've learned patience because they've learned to be um, maybe understanding. They've been through some trials in their lives. Uh, patience is not always a quality that you're just born with, but it's something that uh, you, you kind of have to experience in some ways. And that's how we are patient people because we're afflicted with th things that are going on around us. It's in the man's character as to how he deals with those things. And so uh, faith, the testing of your faith will produce patience and not just a, a patience of character, but a patience in God. And I always like to tell people, be patient with God, be patient with the Bible. You may open that thing up and maybe you don't understand everything you read right off the bat. Don't just toss it to the side. Give it a chance. You know, keep studying, keep learning, like studying the book of James. The things that if you jump right into chapter two, you need to have the grounding of chapter one. I mean, James was written as one entire letter, so it wasn't broken down in chapters and verses when James wrote it, but what you find, and that's the way it is in everything in the Bible, but what you find is that you need to start at the beginning of things to see how the plan of God of salvation unfolds, especially over the period of history. And it all makes sense, like a, like a beautiful puzzle, putting the pieces together. I've had people tell me before, hey, I, you'll be proud of me. I'm, I'm reading the book of Revelation. I'm like, hmm. You know, have you read the other books of the Bible first? I mean, there's there's a reason it's at the end. <laughs> and for us to have a better comprehension and understanding of things like Revelation, which we'll study in a few months, but uh, it's good to get the backing of the rest of the Bible into your mind, into your heart. So the testing of your faith produces patience. So what that should do for you is increase your faith. Help your faith become more resilient, stronger, and give you the opportunity, the ability to be able to defend that faith. Because you're going to have to have patience character-wise, no doubt about it. But when you look at having patience with somebody in the world, especially those that are opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to be bold in the gospel. Going back to Acts chapter 5, you need to not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ, even though the world has told you not to speak in his name. So as the next question points out, uh, what is the perfect work of patience? And this is where we're, what we're leading to here in looking at the perfect work of patience and, of course, why. Well, going back to verse 4, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so this gets back to other aspects of the Bible that uses this term perfect and complete a lot. We've, we've studied this before. Uh, of course, one of my favorite passages is, going to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, talking about uh, the inspired word of God, what we would call the Bible today. And uh, knowing that if we apply that word to our lives, then the man of God may be complete or perfect, as some versions might say, uh, thoroughly equipped in every good work. So when he talks about patience having its perfect work, you know, patience is something that 
it doesn't cause us just patience doesn't cause us to give up. Patience causes us to keep moving forward. As, as I said, with a with a better perspective, a better understanding. Uh, and there are other characteristics or qualities of patience that I think we can uh, uh, build upon. Um, you know, a calmness, you might say, well thought out. And of course, obviously, preparation. Because in order to defend the word of God, uh, we need to know the word of God, as I indicated earlier. So you let patience have its perfect or complete work that you and here's a good part. You may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, we have the perfect and complete in the word of God. So if we utilize that and make that a part of our lives, we will can be uh, complete in the Lord. You see, it's not about being complete or, or perfect in, in you know the eyes of man. Uh, man's always going to find reasons to criticize us and they'll always find faults because we always, we often like to say as uh, human beings, uh, we're not perfect, but yet God tells us to strive for perfection. He tells us to uh, walk worthy of his will. And that's important to note. So you only do that by letting the word of God work in your lives. Well, our next question is, for what is the Christian who lacks wisdom to pray? This is important here because when it comes to Having that which is complete in our lives, we're, we need to talk about our communication to God, don't we? Uh, it's broken down into three parts. For what is the Christian who lacks wisdom to pray? How is he to ask? And in what manner will he receive that for which he is to ask? Well, that's summed up here in verse 5 and 6, where he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We're going to be talking about that again Um uh, in our next section, but he who gives to all liberally and without reproach, it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. So there's two characteristics that we need to have. Let's go back for just a moment. How is he to ask? Well, you've got those characteristics that we are to have. So if, if I lack wisdom to pray, I need to be wise enough to know <laughs> that I need to ask God for more wisdom. Uh, when we discuss this in class, we discuss the fact that you look at the example of Solomon, a man who was given great wisdom as we sum it, sum it up. But when God said that you can have, you know, anything that you want, as he gave him the kingdom to rule over, he says, I need understanding to rule my people. And, you know, we, we look at that as a very noble request. Uh, I often like to think that Solomon, like many of us, uh, uh, maybe wasn't asking in so much of a, a noble nature, but a, a nature of fear and, and being afraid. I mean, I know that's what I would ask God for. I ask God for a lot of those kinds of things because I so desperately need them in my life. And so because of that, God gave him everything else he didn't ask for as well and uh, great riches and glory. But we need to ask for wisdom. And we need to be willing to accept the answers that God gives. And that wisdom is only going to come through his word. And it's going to come through the application of that word. Remember what we talked about in number two a little while ago, the testing of one's faith, producing patience. I've had people tell me before, I'm afraid to ask God for patience because I'm afraid he's going to put me in situations where I have to learn patience. And, and that's not exactly how God operates. Um, but I can see why people think that, because as I pointed out before, sometimes when you find the most patient and wise people, 
it didn't come from just their knowledge and their book sense of things or just from reading the Bible. I often like to say it's important to note that uh, walking into a church building isn't going to make you a Christian. It's not going to make all your problems go away. Walking into a church building isn't going to uh, give you all the knowledge and understanding that you need in God. You have to apply uh, that walk in your life. And you have to be part of the church, certainly. But how is he to ask? Let's get back to the characteristics. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. He goes on to explain the common sense reason for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's some other aspects of character. When he tells us what not to be, uh, don't doubt. Don't be tossed by the wind. Don't, as many people do today, they are so influenced by what other people have to say. And if something sounds good from a, say, a human or philosophical point of view, you need to ask yourself the question, does that go along with what the Bible has to say? Because if it doesn't, it can sound good to human reasoning all you want, but that doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it so. And what the scripture says here is that he ends up becoming unstable in all his ways. Well, next time we're going to talk about a contrast of brothers, the lowly to the rich and the characteristics therein. So if you will, prepare for that lesson by looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and we'll discuss that next week. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us on another episode of Truth and Reason, and I hope this new study will help encourage you uh, to study your words more, and it'll give us a little bit more of a direction in looking at some questions. And as I said before, if you'd like the material ahead of time, uh, please email me, chriskramer11 at gmail.com, or you can send a message through our YouTube channel or the Facebook page, and uh, I'll be happy to send you a PDF or the link um, to the site that uh, Gene Taylor has put this information on. Well, thanks for your time today, and uh, we'll see you next time on Truth and Reason. Wonderful day it was.